um, beg the Lord's forgiveness and ask him to come into our presence. Actually, I think the Lord has a sense of humor. Just look at this. Dude, people I hadn't seen in a couple of years are like, what happened to your hair? And I'm like, ask God. It's not my fault. I just deal with what I have, and uh, this is what I have. So I'm, I'm convinced that God has a sense of humor. Because back in high school, man, I had the long stuff is over the ears, you know, and I liked it when my hair curled back like that. And sometimes I would take the brush and curl it like that because I wanted the flip back thing. And now here I am, dude. I might actually win the prize because at my 10-year class reunion, there was a prize for the most bald guy. I didn't win it then, but I probably will now. So anyway, now uh, God has a good time and he just had a sense of humor. If you study him, the things that Jesus said, some of the, the stories he told, I mean, the whole plank in the eye, you know, take the plank out of your eye before you try to get this. That was funny to them. Now, we don't get it because we're like, it's a board, you know, but people like, that, oh, Jesus, that's funny. Um so, anyway, let's move on. Um, wow, you know what I did, Alex? No, I put the wrong one. Wait, I think I got it here. I folded up this week's message and I left last week's here. I'm going, wait, that's not the intro. Got it, man. In Bible times, <laughs> I was going cylinder in hand. That's from last week. In Bible times, Paul was mentoring a young pastor named Timothy. And uh, I want you to see what he had to say about the pit stop, about serving. First Timothy 4.15, you have this on your listening guys. It says, give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. I need you to circle a couple of things there. Circle, throw yourself and progress. These are the big words that we want to consider from... Um, from this passage today, because what we're going to talk about today is we're going to look at how you can make progress in the Christian life. Now, uh, can you flash up the whole life of the highway thing? I didn't prepare our guys for that. My bad. The goal is to make it to the finish line. A lot of folks come over here and they take a test drive. They show up at church from week to week, but all they do is they just keep repeating that. It's like this loop and they just keep going back here. And so in the Christian life, in the spiritual life, they don't get a whole lot of credit for what's going on because they do the same thing over and over. It would be like if your child was born and they had their first birthday over and over and over and over again. They never got any older physically. They never got any older mentally, spiritually, socially. That would be a problem. That's what happens in a lot of churches. So the goal is not to get stuck at the test drive, but to move on to road trips. And uh, we've taken a couple of road trips, and we have a great time in our family. We're talking about going to Red River this summer, and we got about, I don't know, 10 or 12 of us in our family that are going to meet up and hang out for a week. And we're so excited about it because we love doing road trips because you build memories in the road trips. And this is where we have small groups, and we say that you need to get involved there so that, that others can know you, you can know them. It makes life more fun when you got somebody to do life with. But then again, this is not the goal. This isn't the finish line. So we said there's another stop here, and this is what we talked about last week, and today is the pit stop. And this is where you move from being a spectator to actually participating. And if you think about a pit stop in, a, in, a, in the course of a race, they all have very specific jobs to do. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit and even show you a clip from Cars in the pit stop, one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. Um, we're, yeah, you all remember it. If you've seen it, you, you, you know that. So we're talking about the pit stop, but there again, the pit stop is not the goal. That's not the finish line. 
The finish line is you come all the way around here. You do all these things. You come back to the first and you find somebody who's not on this journey at all. And you kind of serve as a tour guide for them to take this journey. Now, in a race, if you've ever watched a NASCAR race, and I remember younger, in younger years, I didn't watch many of them because I'm like, they're going in circles. And I could watch a couple of laps and I was done. You know, because I was used to something happening all the time. Much like in baseball, where nothing's going on most of the time. But anyway, I like baseball. You know, I go to the games, but, you know, there's not a whole lot. Why do you think little kids, when they first start baseball, why are they chasing the butterflies in the outfield? Because there ain't squat going on except the pitcher and the catcher and maybe the batter if he gets hold of it. Anyway, but they just keep going round and round. How many laps are you supposed to go before the finish line? Well, it depends on how long the race is. Because that's what my girls were asking me the other night. How many laps are in a race, Daddy? I said, it depends on how many miles you're supposed to go. Here's the deal. Each of us has an individualized race that we are that we are running, this race called life. How many laps do you have? I don't know. God does. And the whole key is God wants us to move around as many times as possible till we get to our finish line. And he wants us to have moved as many people around the track as possible to serve as a tour guide. And here's where I'm going with that. God wants us to make progress in our Christian life. But if you look at that verse, it says, throw yourself into these tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Progress is a military term. So the cool thing about the way the scripture was written down, the Old Testament is in Hebrew, the New Testament was in Greek. And I believe, this is my personal belief, that God had it recorded in those languages because those languages, every word, every phrase brought to mind some um, word picture to help them identify with the message. Well, the word picture here is if you're making progress, you're like the advanced military team that goes into the deep, dark jungle. And you're the ones that are not only clearing out all the underbrush, but you're taking out all of the dangers so that you make it easier for the people who come after you to advance, to make progress. And that's what we're trying to do in the Christian life. We're trying to make progress, but as we serve, we actually make it easier for those behind us to come. We tear down obstacles. That's what we're doing with the church. That's why we play fun music. That's why we do videos and we put a Cinderella car up here so that we're trying to make a place where people can come and they can hear about the life-changing message of Jesus. It's a dangerous message because you can't hear the truth and not be changed. Now, this whole making progress thing, I was thinking about this the other day, and, and one, of my, one of my first memories was years ago when I was in ninth grade, we went skiing. We used to do this all the time because I grew up in the Panhandle of Texas, only about four and a half hours to the ski slopes in New Mexico. So we're in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and if you've ever skied in Santa Fe, there are no lodges up on the mountain. You either stay in Santa Fe or you stay at the Baptist encampment an hour away. So every day you have to make this drive. <clears throat> Now, Santa Fe is kind of a, it's a really cool, it's a beautiful scenic drive from, from the city up the mountain to the ski area on the top. But it is treacherous when it's dry. One night we were there, it snowed 12 inches from the time we got off the mountain until we were ready to go skiing the next day. Being Texans, we're from the Panhandle, we've driven on snow. No problem, let's go. We get on all our ski gear, and there's actually two cars that are going. One, one car I'm, I'm in with my parents. Uh, my brother-in-law is driving it. My brother is in the car behind us. And we start busting up the mountain. I'm telling you, when I say treacherous, there are times when you are close to the edge and you're looking over and you can't see the bottom of the canyon. That's how, how far down it is. And you're going, oh, it increases your prayer life big time when, when you're not the one driving. Maybe even more so if you are the one driving. Um, but we start up the mountain and we got about maybe a mile, maybe two miles into this 10-mile journey to the top. 
and got dead flat stuck in a Ford LTD. And I don't remember what my brother was driving. We managed, we were the only idiots to try to go up the mountain. So like there's no tracks to follow. We are the tracks. We're the pioneers. And so we managed to get the two cars over onto the side of the highway and, and just sat there and waited. You know what we're waiting for? Snowplow. Because we knew he was coming. That's like the livelihood in the wintertime is this mountain, this ski area. So we knew he was coming. And when he came about 30 minutes, we were all warm. So we're just talking, telling stories. and Couldn't wait until the snowplow came. And this big honking dude comes, snow flying everywhere. You don't want to be at the side because he'll bury you. So we get in behind him and we get up to the top of the mountain. And I'm not kidding. We get to the top of the mountain. Of course, we're the only ones that have tried. The whole day, there's maybe 40 people on this mountain. The snow was pristine. It was incredible. You were making all of your own tracks because no one else was there. If you were on a green slope, the green slope is the easiest slope, you could not move because you were in snow up to your knees. You had to get on the real steep stuff to even get enough um, gravity pull to take you down the mountain. It was incredible and it was worth it. But we never would have made it to this incredible experience if the snowplow hadn't come and cleared out all the obstacles. He made progress. Why? Sole purpose was so that we could make progress. When you serve in the pit stop, you make it possible for those who come after you to make progress. That's what we're trying to get people to do. Um, those who serve clear way obstacles in the highway of life, and it makes others, makes it easier for them to come after you and mature in their life with Christ. And as you serve, this is the incredible thing. As you serve, we were talking about this this week. Something happens to you. You mature right before the eyes. That's what he's talking about. Paul was talking about. He says, throw yourself in the task so that everyone will see your progress. He's saying everyone else will see you mature right before their eyes. You won't even know what's happening because you're serving. And before you know it, you'll start looking more and more like Christ. More and more people are going to be saying what's going on in your life because you're making progress. You're going to make it easier for them to make progress in their Christian life. I want you to think about the most mature Christian that you know, the person that, that would come to your mind as, as being the, the person most like Christ that you've ever met, I'm willing to bet it's not the most knowledgeable person. It's not the person that can spout out facts and information about the Bible that you're drawn to. I'm willing to bet that it's someone who proves through their actions that they are a Christ follower. That's the most mature people I think about are the servants. Um, it's through actions that you prove it. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at different levels of serving. And as we look at each level, I want you to do a very simple thing. I want you to say, am I at this level? Because you can't make progress in your Christian life if you don't know where you are. So we've got to determine your reference point, And then all we're going to ask is that you take one step forward. If you're in the first level, then move to the second level. If you're in the second level, move to the third. Wherever you are, we're not asking you to go from level one to this, this uh, serve seven days a week, you know, give up your job and, and all of that stuff. And we're not asking you to do that in one week. What we want you to do is take one step, make progress around the whole um, uh, highway of life, one little inch at a time. And that's the thing. When you serve, you make it possible for somebody to move just a little bit further. If that happens then we've succeeded in what we're trying to do here. And that's why we'll come back next week, because we're going to try to help some folks move one inch further, one inch further. And then in a year from now, they won't even look the same. So 
Let's start with the first level. First level is the who me level of serving. This is the lowest level of serving. For this level, serving just never even crosses your mind. It's not natural for you when you see a need. Your first reaction is so just just ignore it. You rationalize that it's too messy or you're just too busy to get involved. And there could be a time need or a skills need or a financial need, and you just don't give it a second of thought. This could easily be the attitude of the priest and the temple assistant in the story of the, uh, of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells the story that a man was in Jerusalem. He leaves Jerusalem and goes down to Jericho. Physically, he goes down from one part of the mountains down to the other. It's treacherous, all kinds of valleys, lots of places for robbers to hide. And here's what Jesus says in Luke 10, 31 and 32. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. These guys had just been to church. Did it make a difference in their attitudes? These guys were knowledgeable. To be a priest or a temple assistant, you had to have most of, and for them, the the Bible was the Old Testament. By this point, they would have most of it memorized. You could start a, a, a verse and they, they would tell you the rest of it. They'd tell you who wrote it, when he wrote it. They knew all kinds of stuff. But their first reaction after going to church, after worshiping God, singing the songs, reading the verses, praying, their first reaction was, not me. Move to the other side and don't make eye contact so maybe the moaning and groaning dude in the ditch won't know that I was here. Um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. See, knowledge isn't enough. Singing songs isn't enough. Uh, just going to church isn't enough. If you're looking for simply an experience, just this feeling, you're not going to have the feeling all of the time. It's a decision that I'm going to make a commitment to be a servant, servant regardless of the cost. And, you know, this, this is a whole lot more common than you might think it is. Um, a few years ago, a 30-year-old woman who was the mother of six children died in Miami, Florida. She'd been assaulted and stabbed. Bleeding profusely, she staggers from uh, front porch to front porch in this middle, upper-class neighborhood, knocking on doors, screaming and begging for help. Nobody responded. A police spokesman said this, You can only imagine the fear and anxiety she experienced knowing that she was bleeding and dying and the frustration she must have felt in trying to find someone to help her. Now, your opportunities to serve probably won't be as life-threatening and dramatic as that. But listen, the who-me level of service, their attitude is the same regardless of what level of serving needs to happen. This level has many residents, but it is no place for a Christ follower. And, and I just have to tell you the truth. If you are at this level, then Christ is not on the throne of your life. You cannot be a follower of Christ and not do what Christ did. So let's move on. Nobody's at this level. If you're at this level, quickly get off this level. Number two, here's the now and then service. Now and then service. When a need presents itself, you'll rise to the occasion. It's project-based service. In this level, you can give yourself for a specified amount of time. If you can do that, then you'll do it. 
we like beginning and ending times, and there is nothing wrong. Don't ever discount this level of service. This is a huge deal. Um, much good can be done for the cause of Christ at this level. You're talking like mission trips, short-term mission trips, vacation Bible schools, when we've done uh, serving projects around town. Uh, this is a big deal. Attention to service or attention to details can be a matter of life and death. Attention or inattention might be the difference in someone living. An example would be King Richard III. Now, I get tickled. I shouldn't get tickled, but let me tell you why I get tickled. Shakespeare wrote a play entitled The Life and Death of King Richard III, in which he portrayed King Richard as this self-absorbed, insecure man. Buzz Lightyear might say, you sad, sad, strange little man. Um, that type of deal. So what makes me laugh is I was checking out the story online. This was actually a couple of years ago that I checked out this story. And there are all kinds of websites. Here, here's the, these people have way too much time on their hands. That's what makes me laugh. The websites are dedicated to the rehabilitation of the image of King Richard III, who was so shabbily treated by Shakespeare. That's a quote. I got there are British chapters of this, you know, rehabilitation thing. And there's American chapters as well. Okay, off of that. There was a huge battle about to begin in 1845 um, near Bosworth. It would determine who would rule England. The morning of the battle, King Richard sent um, a man to make sure that his horse would be ready because he intended to ride in the front of the army. If you've seen the old war movies, you know that that's what the king did. The blacksmith had already been working on all of the horses for the rest of the army before the king's horse got there. So because he'd been doing that, he found out he had a problem. He didn't have enough nails to finish all the shoes on the king's horse. He had enough to finish three shoes, but he was one nail short of finishing the fourth shoe. You can see it coming, can't you? King couldn't wait. He said, the enemy's advancing. I've got to have it. Do the best you can. So the blacksmith throws up his hands, did the best he could, and uh, gives the king the horse that is one nail short. So the fighting began, and, and Richard rides up and down in front of his men, exhorting them to hold the field. But at the most critical point of the battle, when the enemy is pushing forward, King Richard realizes he's got to get to the front lines and encourage his men to stay strong, because they were being defeated. He rode as quickly as he could to that point, but as he did, one of the horseshoes fell off. You know which one, right? It was the one that was one nail short. The horse stumbled and fell. King Richard was thrown to the ground. The frightened horse got up, ran away. So King Richard saw the battle getting away from him because his, his troops were without their leader. So he stands up and he's waving his sword and he's trying to, to, uh, to get his troops to rally. And he, and he utters probably the most famous words from this Shakespeare play. A horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. But there was no horse. So he couldn't get where he needed to go. And King Richard was killed that day and the kingdom was lost. The dynasty was ended forever. And since that time, there's been this saying on the screen. For one of a nail, a shoe was lost. For one of a shoe, a horse was lost. For one of a horse, a battle was lost. For one of a battle, a kingdom was lost. All for the want of a nail. Now, what in the world does that have to do with us? Even one nail matters. Jesus said, you give a cup of cold water to a little child in my name. It matters. Now and then service matters. So don't discount this level. If you're at this level, I say, yay, keep up the now and then service. 
but don't stay there. Move on to the next level. The next level is what we call the sign me up level. Sign me up level. Some folks want their lives to count more than just the occasional acts of service. These folks have said you can count on me to serve, count on me to give, count on me as part of the team. Not just occasionally, but all the time. I'll be a regular part of the team. This group says, you just let me know what's going on and I'll be there. I'll do it. I'll help you. You can count on me for this level of giving. Put me on the schedule because I'm going to help with whatever needs to be done. You need to move chairs. I'm there. You can never start a church without a group of folks like this. And in fact, we had a group like this who said, I'm there. And then we've had others who've, who've come through the years and said, I'm there. I'm going to be a part of this. Because you can never sustain a church and you can't grow a church unless this level is growing as well. You've got to have a, a, a strong foundation of the sign-me-up level people of service. Um, because as we grow, it takes a larger team to carry out all of our responsibilities. When we have 50 to 60 children downstairs, we've got to have folks down there to help. Because that's a priority, is meeting the needs of those children. This level has a higher price tag, and that's why it tends to be a smaller number of people who come at this level. Because the commitment is different. You see a huge progress happening in your life. You're at this level. You are tearing down obstacles week after week so that others, many times people you don't even know, can make spiritual progress. That's a big deal. Now, the next level of service is the spiritual gift service. This is called specialized service. And uh, here I want you to see Guido. Guido is specifically built for this task to help Lightning McQueen win the race. Watch this. What a move by McQueen. He's caught up to the leaders. Oh, yeah, this is what it's all about. The three-way battle for the lead with 10 to go. Back to the pits. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Hey, got a yellow. Bring it in. Don't tear yourself up, kid. We gotta get him back up there fast, or we're gonna be a lap down, and we'll never win this race. Rio, it's time. Hey, Tiny, you gotta clean his windshield. <laughs> the fastest pit stop I've ever seen. It was a great stop, but he's still got to beat that race car out. It's going to be close. Yeah, he's back in the race. Pizza. Woohoo! Now, <laughs> I couldn't remember. I've seen the movie several times, but I could never remember Luigi and Guido and Last night I was asking Janie, she couldn't remember, so she had to ask Hannah. Caleb and Rachel were already asleep, but Hannah was still awake. And so Hannah, being curious, seven little seven-year-old that she is, comes walking out. And she goes, what are you doing, Dad? And I said, well, baby, I'm, I'm showing this part of the movie tomorrow, and, and I can never remember Luigi and, and Guido. And, and just as sincere and sweet as she could be, she goes, Dad, all you have to do is remember two arms for Guido. 
And I'm like, oh, I got it. I'm like, Guido? I don't know, but it works for her seven-year-old mind, and so it works. I got it now. Guido. Peace out. Um, now, Guido was made for that, right? The other guys were making fun of Guido. But Guido was made to change tires. Can you imagine Guido changing a baby diaper? <laughs> Throw it up in the air and wrap it with a... No, 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 no. Guido wasn't made for that. Spiritual gifts happen when God adopts you as his child. When you give your life to Christ, God adopts you and he marks you with the Holy Spirit. He gives you at least one spiritual gift. What that means is God has equipped you to be a ten in some area. And the reason it takes a whole body of believers is we're all tens in different areas. A spiritual gift is a supernatural ability given by God to his children, which enables them to make a difference in the local church through serving the cause of Christ in the local church. Look at 1 Timothy 4.14. And that special gift of ministry you were given, keep that dusted off and in use. How do you keep your spiritual gift dusted off and in use? By serving others. Physical muscles atrophy. Can anyone testify to that? Muscles that you used to have that you hadn't used. Where did they go? Because <laughs> like when you go back to the gym after seven years and you go and you think I used to be able to do this. And you can't do it anymore. Where do they go? They atrophy. That means without use, you lose them. Spiritual gifts are the same way. When you serve, you're actually exercising spiritual gifts, spiritual muscles, and they grow stronger and you get better at whatever area of service God has gifted you at. Ephesians 4, 7 says, Christ has given each of us special abilities, whatever he wants us to have out of his rich storehouse of gifts. Since God decides who gets which gift, we can't say that one gift is better than another gift. It is special because it was handpicked by God for you. And that is why when you use your spiritual gift in serving, it takes on eternal significance. You actually help others make progress because you're exercising your spiritual muscles. But that also means when you don't exercise your spiritual gift in serving then it hinders the progress of others that you're supposed to be helping. Because I have a spiritual gift. When I use that gift, it's to help you. You have a spiritual gift. When you use that gift, it's to help me and other folks in the church. If I don't use my gift, you don't get help. If you don't use my gift, uh, your gift, if you don't use my gift, if you don't use your gift, I don't get help. We all suffer when someone doesn't exercise their spiritual gifts. We actually put up roadblocks and we hinder others. Well, how do you discover your spiritual gift? The only way described in the scripture is by fellowshipping with other believers in a local church. That means you move past the test drive. You make a commitment to be in a local body of believers. You need to be in close fellowship in the road trip. That's why we, we uh, put up a, 
convertible to emphasize the point that you need to be in close fellowship with another group of believers because they will encourage you and sharpen you as you begin to use your gift. You jump into the pit stop and begin using your gift for the glory of God. You tear down roadblocks. You make it possible for others to make progress in their Christian lives. And as all of this is going on, you build spiritual muscle and you begin to look more like Jesus Christ. And this is serious business. This on your listening guide. Spiritual gifts are not toys to be played with. You don't stand up and try to show off your spiritual gift. If you do, it loses all spiritual significance. They are tools to build with. And you know what you're supposed to build with your spiritual gift? The local church. When God established the world, when he created the earth, he established the physical family. Created Adam. One thing not good. Adam was alone. So he created Eve and he said, be fruitful and multiply. (laughs) Our church is taking that literally. The second institution that Jesus made, go down into the newborn area. We're, we're good at that. The second institution was what Jesus established when he came. It was the spiritual family. God created the physical family when Adam and Eve were created. Then when Jesus came, his whole purpose on earth was to establish a spiritual family that would last beyond the grave. And so what he wants us to do is spend the rest of our lives building up his spiritual family. Now, the last level is the deepest and the most profound level, and it's, we just, I just call it becoming dangerous. At this level, you abandon yourself and you live in total union with Christ. And when you do this, Christ infuses your life with power so that you make a huge impact in the lives of people around you. And I just want you to think about incredible stories you've heard about someone serving. Let me just share with you one that I read about. There was a woman who had a miscarriage and because of complications and all kinds of radical surgery, she explained to her pastor that she was going to be bedridden for 10 weeks. Two and a half months. Let that soak in. Here's what she said. My husband's going to have to take me to the bathroom. Feed me. It's going. It's like I'm going to be an invalid. Then tears filled her eyes and she said, But I have a husband who will serve me that way. I don't know why God has blessed me so. But he has a heart like that. Then she said, he took me to the bathroom this morning. And when he came back, it was like it was a privilege for him. Dude, that man's a dangerous server. Because, you know, I've thought about that. Would I be willing to serve my wife like that? I hope so. Would I be willing to serve a stranger like that? I hope so, because if I do, I come out the other side looking a whole lot more like Jesus. Flashy things where you stand up and try to show off your spiritual gift? No. You go and serve somebody like this, and God will begin to chip off the rough edges of your life. And you'll see things that matter and things that don't matter. At this time next year, it's my prayer that you will have moved to a deeper level. I want you to make progress. If you're not making progress, then then I'm failing. Our church is failing you. And we try everything we can to help you make progress. Um, We're going to clear paths and we're going to ask you to help clear paths so that folks around you can make progress in their spiritual life. Because in the Christian life, you don't stand still. 
You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. And if you're moving backwards, you become a hindrance to the cause of Christ. We have some dangerous servers in our church. My wife is one of the most dangerous servers I've ever known. She makes food all the time. She'll feed the city if it needs it. Since we started the church, she has given up more stuff than most of you even can imagine so that this church could exist, so that some of you could make spiritual progress. She's incredible. Danielle Maldonado writes me cards two or three times a year thanking me for the opportunity she gets to serve preschoolers. And I'm blown away every time I read one. Thank you so much for for starting New Life, for going out there, because I've got a place I can't wait to get on Sunday morning so I can serve. Sometimes kids that don't smell good, don't act good, don't feel good. And she says, thank you. That's a dangerous server. Jennifer Kennedy, she's having her child next week. She's tooling up and down the stairs. Making coffees, serving. Jen, how are you? Great. Great. Just blows my mind. Sandy Gleason. Sandy's been one of my favorite people for 12 years. You want to know why? It's the only place this kid, when he was a baby, she's the only person he would go to. And she kept him. She would volunteer. Can I keep Caleb so you and Janie can go away for the weekend? Yeah. (laughs) We hadn't slept in 11 months. Sure. Keep him for a couple of weeks. No, we didn't do that. But she serves and, and she. She feels bad if she's not serving. Incredible. Heather. Serves in the kitchen. And they were up here last night till 10 o'clock fixing the set for the children's area so that they could have worship. Many times I've driven by at at different points in the year and I'll see a light on and and I'm obsessed with turning the lights off. And I'm like, oh, great, someone left the light on. And I'll come up and, and it'll be them making a set so that our kids can remember the story of Christ better. Now, have you noticed the theme to these folks that I've just talked about that are dangerous servers? They're all women. And it's really funny because you're the one who said you felt challenged by Caleb, you know, that he was challenging your manhood. Are you serving like a sixth grader? Can you serve like a sixth grader? And so we did this whole press conference with you in mind, Jason. Um, <laughs> guys, we desperately need you to serve. In the children's area. Uh, We have a lot of single moms that come to church. What do their kids need? They need love of both men and women showing them the love of Christ. But here's the thing, and it's in every church I've ever been in. Whenever the men won't step up to the plate, you know who, who refuses to back down? Women. If guys aren't going to do it, the women are going to do it. Now, guys, if I were to challenge you to go out and clear the clutter on the stairway so that people could get in, hey, ooh, ha, ha, I can do that. You'd be out there in a heartbeat. Give me more. I can carry ten tables. You know, <laughs> you would. You'd be all laughing because guys would be sticking their chest out. You see me, <laughs> Nathan? Um, 
you wouldn't have any problem if I asked you to clear the clutter on the stairway or if I asked you to clear the clutter out in the parking lot. You'd jump, you'd jump at it. What I'm asking you men to do is clear spiritual clutter because it actually matters more to our kids. Caleb has more influence in preschoolers' lives than I do. You want to know why? Because he serves them. And these kids will never forget you if you'll serve. And you don't even have to be good. <laughs> I mean, one of the funniest things I heard this week, we were talking in our, in our planning meeting. Um, Alex films this little two to three minute thing for the preschool class. It's just a goofy thing. He just does something goofy. And so kids know him because they see him on the TV every week in the class. They're like, Mr. Alex, Mr. Alex. Last week, somebody who hadn't been here in a while, four-year-old daughter, when her mom brought her in, Alex actually was, was downstairs serving. And when, when she brings the daughter in, she goes running up, wraps her arm around Alex's leg and goes, Mom, Mom, do you know who this is? This is God. I'm like, wow, we've got some teaching to do. Um, but I tell you that to emphasize that, you know, if you'll just give some time and we're not asking you to go down there every Sunday. In the weeks ahead, we're going to be asking you to, to rotate with our folks who do serve so that they can be up here because we have the greatest servers in the world, but they serve every week and that's not healthy. It's not healthy to sit every week and be fed. It's not healthy to serve every week and not be fed. And so we're looking for two groups of teams so that every week we alternate or maybe we do two weeks on, two weeks off. I don't care how we do it, but we're, we're saying we've got to expand the number of servers so that everyone is fed so that we have a spiritually mature church. Um. In his book, Ministry Loves Company, I think that's a pretty clever title. Misery Loves Com Company. This is Ministry Loves Company. And then the subtitle is A Survival Guide for Pastors. John Galloway Jr. says this. Now, listen to this description. Did you ever stop to think that the place that most exudes doing it decently and in order? Doing things decently and in order. You ever been at a church like that? That's what you would describe decently and in order. And I don't have a problem with that, but listen to what he says. Do you ever stop to think that the place that most exudes doing it decently and in order is the local cemetery? The people who manage the cemetery have their procedures down pat. New members are received in solemn ceremonies. An organ organizational chart on the office wall explains in detail where all the members stand. Uh, I mean, lie. In relation to all the other members, there are no conflicts. Nobody ever encroaches on or under anyone else's turf. People don't quit and join another cemetery because they get mad. They are all in their proper places every Sunday. Everyone knows his or her place and stays in it. It is the most decent and orderly place in town. There just isn't a whole lot of life there. God forbid that new life should ever be described that way. As long as we make progress, as long as each of us moves an inch every week around the track, as long as our goal is not to get to the, the uh, test drive or the, 
road trip or the pit stop, but as long as we just keep moving around and pick up people, that's how we will grow and that's how we will make progress and that's how we'll make it easier for others to make progress in their spiritual lives. Where are you in the highway of life? Just showing up isn't enough? Just singing the songs isn't enough? Just tapping your toe, clapping? That's not enough. Knowledge is not enough. Serving is where it's at. I want you to recognize where you are, and I'm asking you to take a step forward. Now, last week I said spiritual leeches, and people went, there was, you know, we should have had a press conference for that one. A spiritual leech recognizes where they are, and they refuse to move. Obedient, growing Christians recognize where they are and take a step forward. So, I'm not determining which of you are spiritual leeches. You are. Recognize where you are. Move forward for the cause of Christ. Um, And and really, I'm just going to challenge you to finish as many laps as you can before Christ calls you home or before he returns. Because wouldn't it be cool to be in the process of moving around the track, taking people with you when Christ calls you home? I think he'll be saying, good job. And he might even say, I'm going to leave you a little longer because you're doing such a good job. Take your registration cards if you would.